kids, you are dismissed, third through fifth grade, to go to your classroom. Looks like uh, Ethan Salisbury won the race today, so congratulations to him. Let's see what happens next week. The rest of you, please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We will be in Psalm 8 this morning. You're going to want to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, whether it's on your phone or uh, on a paper form. If you don't have access to a copy of God's Word very easily, you can go ahead and just raise your hand, and uh, Mark will be happy to bring a Bible to you right where you sit. How convenient is that? So just raise your hand nice and high uh, so he can see it if you need one. Uh, But if you don't need one, then I trust that you're turning with me to Psalm 8. I'm really excited for our time there this morning. Also, want to just say to Jim and Hannah, where are you, Jim and Hannah? Looking for right there, you guys are. Uh, man, so proud of you both for um, doing what you did and um, publicly proclaiming your faith in Christ in the waters of baptism here uh, uh, among our church body. Uh, it's a big deal, and so I'm um, just really proud of you guys. Uh, may the Lord bless you uh, for in your obedience to Him in that. Um, the enemy is going to probably want to tell you that what you did uh, was meaningless. It was worthless. Why, how, why would you do something like that? He's going to want to lie to you about what happened. And so I just wanted to commend you to believe the truth that what you've done is a big deal. And the Lord uh, is, will, is uh, honored and glorified for your obedience. So um, just so happy for you guys. And also just want to say if you have not yet been baptized, if you are a believer of G- in Jesus and you have not been baptized since becoming a believer in Jesus, we want to encourage you to do that. And if you just want to learn more about what that is, we have two resources available. So for kids, uh, we have a baptism packet. Uh, it's just called Am I Ready to Be Baptized? It's for kids. And uh, so parents, we have that very intentionally for you to go through with your kids uh, to kind of walk them through to see uh, if they are, in fact, uh, ready or not. And um, in adults, the same thing. We, have, we, just made a, we were given adults the kid one, and then realized we should probably make one that doesn't say uh, kids in it all over the place. So um, we made one for adults as well. And so again, if you are a follower of Jesus or you're not quite sure um, and you want to learn more, please pick up one of those packets at the Ministry Connection Desk. Uh, we'll probably have another baptism service here uh, in a couple of months or so. Um, but uh, anyways, all that to say, um, it's just an awesome thing to be able to celebrate uh, lives being changed. It's a miracle every single time somebody is brought from death to life. And so praise the Lord for that. We're going to be in Psalm 8 this morning. So please look there with me. I will read it in its entirety and then we will pray. Psalm 8. It says, to the choir master, according to the giddeth. We all know what that is, so I won't even go into it. Just kidding. I have no idea what that is. But a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, how majestic indeed is your name in all the earth. We praise you. We thank you. 
for who you are. God, we just pray that this psalm would help us to have a bigger and fuller glimpse of who you are as we spend time in it this morning. We do not struggle with thinking that you're bigger than you are, God. We struggle with thinking that you're smaller than you are. And so help us to just have our minds and our hearts just expanded in, um, in our understanding of who you are, of your greatness, of your infinite power and worth, Lord, and all that you have done. So help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The universe is, I don't know if you know this, really big. Like, really, 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 really big. Did you guys know this? That's a scientific term. I looked it up. It's really, really big. Have you guys seen these, uh, these uh, images from the Webb telescope that NASA uh, released this week? They're unbelievable. It gives us the most detailed look into space that we've ever seen. If you want to actually do the, put up the other picture here, uh, Chris, there we go. Um, they're just unbelievable. I'm glad, I'm kind of glad, hey, perfect with the lights. Now it kind of feels like we're in a planetarium. This is fantastic. I mean, we should just keep it like this the rest of the sermon. No, just kidding. I'm kind of, in some ways, glad that we're inside because I was just going to have to describe these pictures to you rather than um, looking at them together. And really, even just on the projector, it just doesn't do it justice. But the, this, this image, what you're looking at right now, is called Stefan's Quintet which are made up of five galaxies. You kind of see where those five bright spots are. Those are five different galaxies. And the one on the left there is um, much closer to us. It's only 40 million light years away. And the rest of them are 290 million light years away. Do you know what a light year is? It's uh, how long it takes light to travel in a year. So those uh, galaxies that we're looking at are really, really really far away, um, which shows us that the universe is really, really big. And if you want to look at the next one, we see these are not, it looks like multicolored stars, but these are, I think that when they have the five points or the six points, those are stars, but the rest are galaxies. And these are just thousands of galaxies that this um, telescope has, has made us able to see. And they said the scope of what you're looking at right now is like if you held a single grain of sand at arm's length, and then held that single grain of sand up to the night sky. That's how much, those are the galaxies that are contained in that single grain of sand. Um, we just can't comprehend the size of the universe. It's mind-numbingly gigantic. I could go on and on, but our, our brains just can't even begin to comprehend the size and scale of the universe. It's really big. Now let's think about God. God spoke the universe into being. The heavens, this psalm tells us, are the work of God's fingers. He set the stars into place. All the infinite amount of stars that make up the infinite amount of galaxies. I read this week there's like 285 galaxies for every human being on earth or something like that. It's all the work of God's fingers. Who understands that? <laughs> Who can comprehend that? Now we as human beings, I'd certainly uh, fall into this camp. We don't really struggle in thinking that what we're dealing with is like 
a really big deal, right? We don't struggle with like putting ourselves right in the forefront of the universe. Uh, anyone ever been to Disney World? That's like why they exist, right? There's like one, you go to Disney World, there's one message that they're, they're telling you. They're saying, you are the most important being in the entire universe. And then maybe the second message is, please don't notice how much money we've extracted from you as we've, as we've given you that message. We don't struggle with the idea of thinking that we're too small, right? We don't struggle with that idea that our problems are the biggest problems in the world. We don't struggle to think that. We, we oftentimes think that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. But when we take a step back, we think about this, like think about it, just the scope of the universe. Think of how small the earth is in our galaxy. Think of how small the corner of the earth is that it makes up our country. Think of how small our town is. Think of how small we are. You can't even begin to comprehend it. How truly minuscule we are in comparison to an infinite God who made the heavens as the work of his fingers. We should, when we really start to think about it, come to the same conclusion that David does at the apex of this psalm. The apex of the climax of the psalm is actually right in the middle of it. Verse 4 Who is man that you are mindful of him? God, you put all those stars up there into place? Who is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you came care for him. This psalm that we're looking at this morning is a psalm of praise. David wrote this psalm so that we would marvel at who God is and how he works through people like you and me. That's what the psalmist, that's what David wants us to see in looking at this psalm is the greatness and vastness of God. And then when we understand that more, we have a better understanding of even how amazing it is that he would ever care for us or work through us. Something that Pastor David and I talk about sometimes when we talk about planning services here at Rock Prairie is that we need to, to convey both the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. These are big words that don't, it just means a transcendence of God means his otherness, his vastness, his infiniteness, his all-powerfulness, like everything that makes God, God. We want to communicate that in our church service. And not only that, but also his imminence, how near he is, how much he cares for you, how much he knows you, how much he wants to work in you and through you. Even those things that like maybe nobody else knows about you, that God knows these things and he cares for you deeply. We need to understand both of these things. And oftentimes I think we can, um, we can fall on one side or the other. Right? Maybe you like, understand, you, you don't struggle when you think about God. You don't struggle with understanding of his like, otherness. But you maybe struggle to think, well, how could he care for me? Right? That's probably the camp more that I fall into. And that's why the book I've recommended it countless times, but Gentle and Lowly is, is, was transformational to me. Because that's where I struggle with how could God really care about me. Maybe others of you, maybe you're like, you're really good. You're really strong on understanding. Like your like personal relationship walking with the Lord. But you don't really think about his, his otherness as much. And for you, maybe the, the book Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul has been one that was transformational to me in, in my walk with the Lord. 
And maybe you've got it nailed both sides, right? And then you write the book and I'll read the book and that'll be great. But probably that's not very many of us. I think we probably struggle with, with one side or the other. But when we think about the transcendence of God, it makes his imminence that much more amazing. When we think about how big he is, <laughs> it makes how close he is that much more incredible. Who is man that you are mindful of him? That's what I love this psalm, as it does exactly both. It points to God's greatness and his nearness. It makes us marvel at how he chooses to use these weak, frail, teeny tiny human beings like you and me. The first verse one begins O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. He's setting up just the greatness of God. Now, at first glance, this seems redundant. He's saying the word Lord twice. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Why is he saying that? Well, it's actually not redundant, and this is why it's important to have your Bibles in front of you. So look down at your Bibles now. What do you notice about the first Lord there? The, word, the, the letters. What do you notice about them? They're all what? Capitalized. What about the second Lord? Are those all capitalized? No. Oh. Very interesting. I wonder why that is. The first Lord is referring to the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. So if you're, it's, this is called, if you want a Jeopardy answer, this is going to help you, the Tetragrammaton. It's the four letters, the Hebrew letters that make up the name of God, which we pronounce either Yahweh or Jehovah. We're not quite sure exactly, but we, it's either one of the two. And so um, that's what, oh Lord, so we're saying the name of God. Oh, Yahweh, and then our Lord is more like kind of how we understand Lord, like our ruler, our king. So he's saying, a better translation is Yahweh, our king, how majestic is your name, which he just called his name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And he goes on, you have set your glory above the heavens. You see what he's doing? Your name in all the earth You've set your glory above the what? Heavens. When we see that, especially in, in the Psalms, but all over Scripture, when you see kind of two opposites like that, what it's saying is from the earth to the heavens and everything in between, it is all yours, God. From the lowest to the highest, from the least to the greatest, it's all yours. How majestic is your name everywhere. And he writes this, Out of the mouths of babies and infants... You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This part was a little bit confusing to me at first as I was studying the passage. This was the part that kind of I didn't quite know what to do with it. What does that mean? Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. And some of you, if you have like the uh, NIV translation or the NLT translation, it's actually completely different, um, which means that... It's a difficult passage to understand exactly what he was trying to say when you find uh, different translations that um, where it is written completely different. It just means it's maybe a little bit more confusing. But essentially, as I study this, one commentator argues this. Essentially, what he's saying is that God reveals his majesty by defeating his enemies through the weakness of children. Is kind of what he's saying out of the mouth of babies and infants. Really, that could be more like uh, toddlers and, and young children. So, like, just old enough to speak. He's saying that you've established strength because of your foes. So you use weakness to establish your power. 
God is so great and powerful, he's saying, that he doesn't need to establish his strength in the same way the world does. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around because as human beings, we expect power and strength to be demonstrated in a particular way. But God is outside of that, he's saying. He's beyond that. He doesn't need to demonstrate his power in the same way. He doesn't need to demonstrate his military strength and power by how big and strong his army is. That's what he's saying. And who in the Bible knows that better than David, that God can use kids to defeat foes? Nobody, right? There once was only a boy named David. You know this song? Only a little sling. Only a boy named David. Sing with me, buddy. He could pray and sing. One little stone went into the sling. The sling went around. You remember this song? Am I the only one who learned this song? Thank you, Tony. God is so powerful, he uses weak things to defeat strong things. David lived this out. He's saying, God, you are so far beyond our expectation. Your name is so great in all the earth that these powerful foes come against you and you use little kids to knock them over. So what should that do in our hearts? What should it have done in David's heart when he defeated Goliath? What should have his thought been? Oh, man, I'm pretty good with a sling. <laughs> no. God, how great and how powerful are you? When the walls of Jericho come tumbling down after the trumpets play, what should the trumpeters have thought? Woof, I'm pretty good at this. No. God, you're amazing. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29 says this very same idea, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you feel weak sometimes? Good, that's right where God wants you to be. Do you feel low and despised sometimes? Good. That's when God really demonstrates his power so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we see God working through us or in us or using us in some way, it should always, always cause us to turn back to God and worship him. There's just no room for anything but like the utmost humility in that because it's not you. It's him. God demonstrates his power by working through weakness, which leads David to ponder what we've already talked about because he doesn't have to do that. He's just so far beyond what we can even comprehend that that's what he does. So he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You just feel David, right? Out, probably, he's probably outside when he's writing this, looking up at the night sky, thinking, holy cow, look at all those stars. They are really big. And now we just have an even better understanding than he did now. They're really big, and I'm really small. And your fingers put them up there, God. Why do you care about us? Why do you even notice us? How often do you think about how amazing it is that God knows you? You think about that. Do you just take it for granted? 
Can we think about that a little bit this morning and just be amazed by it? God knows your name. Like, the God, the, the one God, he knows your name. The one who put those stars up there, he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the Bible says. How many of you know the numbers of your hairs on your head? Only a handful of you in this room. <laughs> but not most of us. Which means not only does God know you, he knows you better than you know you. Which is mind-blowing. He's God. Who is man that you are mindful of him? That truth that he knows you so intimately is just as hard to comprehend as the size of the universe. And it doesn't end there because God doesn't just know you and he doesn't just know you better than you know yourself. And he doesn't just care for you deeply. Look at what David says. Yet you have made him, this little measly man, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So he's like, not only do you know us little measly people, like there's angels and then boop, right under that, there's mankind. And you've crowned us with glory and honor. Because we're made in the image of God. But it's not only that he's done that. He's also been given us this incredible authority. He says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Talking about man. All sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. God has given mankind this dominion over his creation that he has made. Now there's a few points that I want to make here from this text. The first of all, there's many people that would say that human beings are just another of the animals, right? Like maybe the most advanced of the animals, but you're just another of the animals. And as Christians, we certainly reject that notion entirely because of what this passage tells us. God has created us with a special glory and honor and with a special authority over the rest of creation. And then second, it's important to remember where that dignity and authority come from. Because in this passage, who is the one giving the authority? God, good job. <laughs> David's talking to God. He says, you have, you, God, have made him a little lower than the angels. You, God, have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You, God, have put, have put all things under his feet. God has done that. This is very consequential for the way we understand human life. Because there are some people who see the value of human beings in terms of what they are able to produce or contribute to society, which we must roundly reject as Christians. Human worth and dignity is not based on performance or ability. And this is why we as Christians fight so hard to protect the unborn. Jerry talked about last week. It goes so much farther than just the unborn. It's those with special needs, the weak, the poor, the elderly, the marginalized in society. Anyone who might think society doesn't see me as having very much worth. 
What does God say about those people? They've been crowned with glory and honor and made a little lower than the angels. You want worth? God did that. It's not because of what they've done. It's not because they've earned it. It's not like they were born close to that and then they earned their way there. That is what God did. Which again, shouldn't make us as humans point to ourselves and think, wow, I'm really something. It should make us point to God and say, God, you are everything. It's not based on what you've done, how much you have, what you can produce or give to society on, the worldly, on worldly terms. It's based on who God is and how he sees us and what he says is true of, of us because we've been made in his image. That's the second thing. And then here's the third thing. I believe this psalm helps us see that we as human beings have been given a responsibility to care about the world that God has given us. It's not something we talk about very much. I think sometimes we can fall into what I like to call an evangelical nihilism. What does that mean? Nihilism just means nothing in the world matters. We're all going to die anyway. What's evangelical nihilism? It can kind of be this idea of like, well, Jesus is coming back, so nothing matters, right? Now, Jesus is coming back, yes. That is very important. He is going to restore creation to its original glory. But the truth is that we've been given a responsibility to be good stewards of God's creation. Why? Because it all reflects his glory. Creation, according to Romans 1, is how the whole world sees that God exists. It all reflects him. It reflects his glory. And the Bible tells us we are stewards of it. So if you care for the creator, you'll care for the creation. Now, I'm not saying that we need to become tree-hugging environmentalists necessarily, but I do think if this psalm is true, then I just think Christians should be the ones who are known for caring the most deeply about the world that God has made. Because it didn't just happen by accident. God created it. He's the creator. He spoke it into existence on purpose. And every corner of it shouts out glory to God. Ultimately, when David wrote this psalm, I hope we see he's calling the people of God to just be in awe of Yahweh, their king. What kind of God, if he's truly infinite, what kind of God who created all the galaxies that we just saw the picture of with his fingers would also care about us, meager, teeny tiny by comparison, human beings? I just think it's important. Here's what's important. Again, we can get just, we are all collectively, many of you walking through very difficult things right now. Things that feel like the whole world is going to rise and fall on what happens in this one thing, right? God cares about that so deeply. and We know that he does. And so when we step back and take a look at the power that is in God, the power that he has, the greatness of who he is. When we can take a step back and really see our place in comparison to all creation, it should cause us to understand that it's not too big for God. <laughs> and whatever it is, it's, I was just talking to someone in the lobby this morning about so God just answered a prayer, and it's like, man, sometimes God just, boop, just does it. You don't know how or where it came from, but he was thinking about it the whole time. Who is man that God is mindful of him? 
God cares about us so deeply. And so that's what, when David wrote this psalm, that's what he wanted us to see. He wanted us to see the greatness of God and how amazing it is that he would care for you and me. This is all true and this is all amazing. But I'm going to take it even one step deeper as we close. Because what we see now on the other side of the cross is this psalm isn't only about God's relation to human beings. It's also about Jesus. Come on, Pastor Mike. You always say that. (laughs) You always say it's about Jesus. It's just a nice way to end a sermon. But I don't see that anywhere. Well, if you don't believe me, I want you, or if you do believe me, either way, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. There is a problem. There, you, maybe you've been thinking as I've been preaching and talking about our authority and dominion over all creation. Because hypothetically, we do have authority. But in reality, we don't have that much control. Like, I don't know about you, but if you put me in a tank with an alligator, I don't feel super confident that that alligator would respect my authority, even if I quoted this psalm directly to him, right? (laughs) You ever seen the running of the bulls in Spain? Who's running from whom (laughs) in that situation? It's not the bulls running from the people. What do we do about with the fact that we humans actually don't quite have this kind of authority, Like, we're supposed to have this authority. When God created the world, we were given that authority. But the fall has messed that up now. So what do we do with the fact that we don't quite actually have that authority that Psalm 8 says we do? Well, the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 shows us that this psalm points us forward to Christ. Hebrews, starting in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2, it actually, he's quoting Psalm 8. And then he says this about Psalm 8. It says, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels. We just saw God made man lower than the angels. But then who does he say is the one made a little lower than the angels for a little while? Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. You see, he's applying this psalm directly to Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Oh, man. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Psalm 8 tells us, who is man that you're mindful of him? You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him a little lower than the angels. This is amazing that you have raised up man to this estate. What does the author of Hebrews say? This is so cool. You have made Jesus a little lower than the angels. You see, it's the opposite that happened. And crowned him with glory and honor. How was he crowned with glory and honor? Through suffering and death. Who's glad that we're not outside right now as we hear the rain? (laughs) He's been crowned with glory and honor through suffering and death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God's power is demonstrated once again through weakness. God sends his son to come to earth as a human. We've already established we're pretty teeny tiny in comparison to God, right? God sends his son to earth as a human being. And if he just came to earth and like reigned as the supreme ruler of the earth, that would already be so far like beneath God. But he didn't even do that. What did he do? He made himself nothing, taking on a form of a servant, 
and we came obedient to death, even death on the cross. How great is our God, our minds can't even comprehend. And so the next time you're walking through something and you're just tempted to think this is the biggest thing in the universe, it often feels that way. And I'm not even trying to make you feel like bad for caring about your problems. That's not it at all. Just remember the God who is infinite, knows your name, and cares deeply as well. Next time you're tempted to think that God doesn't really care about me, remember he created you in his image and crowned you with glory and honor and gave you dominion over all of his creation. And the next time you're tempted to think, well, maybe God did that, but I've screwed everything up so royally that there's no way he still wants anything to do with me. You're right, except you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you've messed it up. But he sent his son to taste death for everyone by the grace of God, the infinite God. Let's put up that picture one more time and dim the lights as we sit here in the rain. We hear the rain around us. This is cool. I I always tell, I feel bad. It's always um, Chris on the PowerPoint when I do the craziest things, and he's always so great. So thank you, Chris. There we go. The infinite God sent us his son who is man that you are mindful of him let's pray God you hear us right now You spoke the universe into existence. You created this earth for us to enjoy and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with human beings created in your image who would worship you. You didn't have to do that, God. And then we went and we royally messed it all up. First time you sent a flood. Deservedly so. And then we messed it up again. You could have destroyed us again, but you didn't. Instead, you sent us your son. Because of the great love with which you loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, God. We just stop and ponder this morning about your greatness the way that you created the earth, the way that you take care of the earth with the rain that we've needed so badly, and here it is, and you take care of us, God. You love us. You know our pain. You know our difficulty. You know our problems. You know our sin. What is man that you are mindful of him? We've been created in your image and loved by Jesus, and saved by grace. We praise you, God. May we bring glory and honor to you all the days of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.